I was like a kid in a lolly shop having a great time. At this conference, people from all over the world were gathered and I got to um, have many meetings with this particular individual who we just kept bumping into and he was a guy from Bhutan. I don't remember his name, unfortunately, but he was, on, he was returning home after being in exile for seven years because apparently in, in Bhutan, it's illegal to be a Christian, it's more illegal to be a minister, I can't imagine how illegal it is to be a principal of a Bible college and it's even more illegal if you baptise someone. So he ticked all the boxes and he had to flee his country. He hadn't seen his family in seven years. I don't know how it happened but all the charges got dropped and he was heading home and he was bouncing with excitement to get home and see his family. We talked for some time about different topics and I said to him... <clears throat> I asked him a really dumb Australian question. I said, mate, what's the difference between living in Bataan and living in America? Like, what have you found? Like, really interesting. He gave me a really intelligent Bhutanese response to my really dumb Australian question, something which I've never forgotten. He said to me this. He said, I couldn't have lived in America for much longer. He said, the persecution was too much for me. And I'm sitting there going, persecution, Bataan, persecution, America. Mate, are you okay? That's what I thought in my brain. But what, what do you mean by this persecution in America? He said, I do not understand how Christians in America deal with the persecutions of the lusts and sensualities of that culture. I do not understand how people, how Christians remain pure and how second to that they can continue to live for Jesus in a way he intended. I'm really looking forward to going home. That was a news flash for me. Someone from outside the Western world parachuted in through no fault of his own said, I can't live in this culture, it's so much persecution. To the lusts and sensualities of our culture. I don't know if you see it like that, but ever since that conversation, I see it again and again and again and again. I, I watched that DVD and, and I don't understand what it would have been like to be a woman in Jesus' day or a child. I can't imagine, like he talked about that thing of exposure, can you imagine being the one to take that child outside, put it down and then turn and walk away? That is outside the realm of what I ever consider humane or decent. And into that world comes Jesus. And Jesus says, in the, God says in the book of Romans, as Jesus came into the world, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we get an understanding of the deprivation. We get an understanding of, of, the, of, the, of the, the devaluing of women that was around in Jesus' time. And he came into that world purely with the gospel of grace, of mercy and love. 
He came in proclaiming his mercy and love, God's mercy and love to a world, and he was stood against a religious system that continually was bound by judgment of condemnation of anyone. And as you read through the Gospels, particularly women and children. I think last night we watched on the DVD, it said that um, Jewish men used to say, thank God I'm not a Gentile. Thank God that I'm a male, and thank God that I'm not a woman. Like, really? I could not imagine praying that prayer in my house, married to my wife, with my two young adult daughters. I, I, things would end bad for me. <clears throat> I'm not even game to try that. I'll try a lot of things, but I'm not trying that. And, and, and Jesus stood against this religious system of judgment and condemnation and he expressed his gospel through love and grace. And he said to the kids, he said, little children, hey, come to me. And they come. By gosh, his character, his demeanour, his face must have been safe as these kids just come to him. Again and again and again. And to the women, to the women irregardless of race, of colour, of creed, of stature, he had time. He ministered to them. And again and again and again, he gives his peace to them. What a great gift to give to somebody in a world and a culture of such degradation to say, I give you God's peace. And Jesus did that again and again to women, to children, to everybody who came upon him. And isn't that to be our aim, to release the peace and the grace and the mercy of God's gospel in the world in which we live? Isn't that what we're to be about just in the normal everyday of life, in the as we go about things of living for Jesus? The basic principle of the Christian faith that you and I live by is that we're not only to represent Jesus, but we're to represent Jesus to the world in which we live. Every day in every way and on the topic of women and children in how we treat them how we look at them how we value them how we seek to to work with them with each other and how we encourage and esteem yet so often in our workplaces, in our social settings, our treatment of women becomes like eating a bunch of grapes. We just take one piece away from them all the time. When the reality of what we're called to be as Christians is someone who empowers and esteems, who doesn't continually take. When Jesus came into the world, it's fair to say that, that when he stood before the religious system, he was troubled. He was troubled by what he saw happening in culture. He was troubled by what he saw happening in the, in, in the religious system of the day. And if you want to understand the word trouble, it comes from the, the Greek verb theheo. It means I'm disturbed, I'm really alarmed, or I'm troubled. And again and again and again, Jesus' confrontation with the religious leaders or the church of the day was he's just troubled. 
A classic illustration of how that works out would be perhaps in the treatment, in the treatment of the poor lady in John chapter 8. If you know the, your Bible, you know that story well. It's the story of the woman caught in adultery where these religious leaders grab this, 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 this lady and they drag her out and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. They got the woman in one hand, a rock in the other. They say, God, uh, Jesus, the law says she should be stoned. Let us do it. What do you got to say about that? In my Bible, this story is headed with this heading, the adulteress stands before the light of the world. Oh, I love that. If you know the story, you know how it goes. Jesus looks at the lady. And if you want to understand Jewish culture, how they treated women, I don't know about you, but the last time I was um, helping someone through an affair, there was always two people involved. Uh, where's the bloke in this? Just saying it usually takes two to tango. He looks at the girl, the young lady, looks at the religious leaders and he says, as they toss in their rocks in their hand, okay, but let him who's without sin cast the first stone. Judgment and condemnation, grace, mercy, and love. Jesus, it says, he stoops to the ground. People turn, Jesus stands. He says to the lady, he says, where are they? Where are those who condemn you? No one here, my Lord. Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. In a great act of love and mercy, he takes someone who's so on, the, on death row for all intensive purposes, about to be punished in the most terrible way, picks her up. I don't condemn you. I love you. Go and sin no more. And it challenges me that 2,000 years later that men and women like that run away from God when in Jesus' day they ran towards him. And the question I have to ask, both from the context of work that I'm involved with and in the social settings that I hang around, What are we as a church portraying, and I mean globally across Australia, but you can contextualise it to us if you'd like. What are we representing? How are we representing Jesus to our world? Where the gospel of grace and mercy lifts people up to find healing and wholeness in the presence of the Lord and not judgment and condemnation. Our call, I believe, on this topic is to, is to take the principle from James chapter 1, verse 27, and I'd like to read this verse to you. It simply says this, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. To visit children and widows and keep oneself unspotted from the world. 
Encourage them. Don't do it to take. Do it to give grace and mercy. Women and children. Or as in this passage, orphans and widows. The church, I believe, on this topic of women and children should have the moral high ground, it should have the ethical high ground, it should have the spiritual high ground. We should be at the top of the tree. Up until last Sunday, I thought actually today I was going to be speaking on forgiveness. So the week before last, I was starting to mull on this in my head and then I got to church on Sunday and David was speaking. He said, best of luck speaking on women and children next week. Oh, really? Right. Well, that just turfed that one out the door. Let's start again. So what I decided to do this week was, and by accident or by design, this week was also International Women's Day. Good planning, John. Well done. So I decided that this week I was just going to listen to the radio to hear what was said from either a woman's point of view about, about International Women's Day and what, the, what would be said about the church in relation to women and church. I thought women and children. I thought somewhere it's going to come up on the media. So let's just do a random straw poll. The theme for International um, Women's Day this year, does anybody remember what it was? It was only on Wednesday or Thursday or whatever day. I see that hand over there, young man, but I know you have no idea. Um, the theme was, tell you what, it was a high-impacting event, wasn't it? Yes, mate. Press for progress. Well done. You've outdone all the ladies here. Press for progress. Great theme. Love the work. In light of all the Me Too stuff and, and the, the sexual harassment at work, like, seriously, what's that doing in our, in our workplaces? If you're involved with it, stop it. That's my, that's, that's my pastoral side to, in my workplace. If you see it, then stand up for it. If it costs you your job, and I can attest to this, I once went so close to the line, I had my resignation notice written because I thought I was, <laughs> was out the door, then stand up for it. Against it. Sorry. But we should have the moral and ethical high ground. But instead, what did I hear on the news this week about the Christian church? What I heard on the news this week about the Christian church was a priest in Melbourne standing up against going to court for historical sex abuse charges. And I thought to myself, really? And you could push back at me and say, yeah, but Jeff, the media is always looking for a reason to slander the church. And I could push back at you and say, then why are we giving them a reason in the first place? Because we should be at the top of the game. We should be at the top of the tree, morally, ethically, spiritually, in our treatment of women and in our treatment of children. Because we are called as, Christ, as Christians, as the Christ ones, to represent and represent Jesus well in how he treats women and children. That's how we're to do it. What's the standard? That's it. Is there any exceptions? No. There's none. And I fear that the pure and undefiled religion that God wants us to represent has been replaced by a series of our man-made practices rather than the pure expression of love and mercy from God.
I have to say to you in my, in my role as a, as a police chaplain, one of the things that really disturbs me is that in Queensland, and I think it's in other jurisdictions as well, that we have two units, one for domestic violence, standalone domestic violence unit, and a standalone child protection unit. And I have to tell you, they are always functioning at a very high level. They never come to work and go, what am I going to do today? They are really busy. In our city, they are really busy. In our region, they are all really busy. And I can see the tears in the eyes of the Lord. Just want to say to these kids, come to me. Just come to me. I think we need to be troubled like Jesus and have love and mercy and express those attributes as we live for him. We need to be troubled in our hearts at those statistics, at that realisation. Why is it in our country today that a woman dies, at least one woman dies every week as a result of domestic violence? Every single week. Really? I don't understand what it was like to be a woman in Jesus' day, but sometimes I just think it's not much different to today. And I think as a church, I think as Christians, we have a right, we have a place that's ours to claim, to stand up for the rights of women, to stand up for the rights of our children and be vocal about it. In whatever way that touches your heart. Because as Galatians says, as, as David read last week from Galatians 3, 26 to 29, so in Christ we're all children of God. Everyone who accepts him has been adopted into his family. So we're all children of God. We're all equal. We're all sons and daughters of the Lord through faith. For all of you were baptised into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for we're all one in Jesus Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. We've been adopted into God's family. And we need to view each other, man, woman and child, through the same eyes as how God sees us. And he sees us all as lovely, as valuable, as wonderful. That may be new to you. But let me just give you a quick theology lesson. Do you remember in Isaiah 9 verse 6 when it says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a king is Given, he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting God, and da-da-da-da-da. If, if you've become a Christian, then you're in God, right? That's, we, we're universal on that. Excellent. If you're in God and one of his names is Wonderful, then what does that make you? This side's very quiet. 
What does that make you? Six people got it. It makes us wonderful. And we can walk and talk and have dignity through the eyes of God at that level. There's a present future promise that we can express through expressing a pure and undefiled religion that visits with kids that, and orphans in a way that keeps oneself unspotted from the world. That's code for not take advantage of. Pure and undefiled religion. The word religion is an adjective. It comes from the Greek word thakros, which means a careful, careful observant of religious ritual. Thakros is a, has as its root word the word theheo, which is the word troubled. Religion has as its root word the word trouble. Comes from the root word trouble. I pondered that for, 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 for some time this week and it came to this conclusion. I believe what Jesus is or what God is saying to us when we're to have a pure and undefiled religion towards orphans or towards children and towards women in a way that keeps oneself unspotted from the world. I believe what God's saying to us as Christians, we're to be troubled by the things that trouble the Lord. We're to make a stand for things that trouble the Lord. We should be troubled as the Lord is troubled at the objectifying and the, the objectifying of our women and the commodifying of our children. Uh, I'm involved with an with a anti-slavery movement that, that, that isn't Christian, so I'm not going to say who, what it is here, but I, I support one of those. And in stats that I, I receive from them, they tell me that there are 45.8 million people in slavery today. And the vast majority of them are women and children. I thought about reading to you the stereotypical from the data they have of the stereotypical person who's taken into um, exploitation from Amsterdam, but the, the, the realisation of that data is just too horrific to read in this setting with children present. And I want to suggest to us that we should be troubled in our hearts by what is troubling the Lord, and I believe that is in the, in the, in the objectifying and the commodifying of our children. So what's the way forward with all this? I want to give three strategies, maybe four. A strategy to men. To all the older men and to all the younger men here, can I encourage you, treat those women who are older than you like your mother and treat those younger than you like your sister and the dignity and the respect that they deserve. Can I suggest to you that if you are tempted to engage in pornography, or that seed of whatever is planted in your brain, 
then use that as a trigger to worship the Lord. Because there's, there's some sort of false intimacy, there's some sort of close sense, or false sense of acceptance that you're trying to gain and it's through some, some means it's just like plucking grapes off a vine and all you're just doing is discarding a stem. I want to encourage you, don't take what the devil's trying to do in dragging you down and use it as a trigger to lift yourself up and worship the Lord. Try it. Worship the Lord. And worship him and worship him and worship him. If you're a dad here this morning, can I encourage you to take your daughters on dates. Let them get dressed up in their finery and let them choose the restaurant. And go and teach them how to act. You remember what you were like dating your wife? You know those moments. Teach them how to teach your daughters to prepare for those moments. Teach our kids. Mums, do it with your sons. Teach them how to act. Teach them life. Don't be silent when they need you to speak up. A strategy to parents and adults. Uh, in, in the Ten Commandments, it says, Honour your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord is giving you. I hated that verse as a kid. I'll just tell you that now. I feel better for having a public confession. I didn't understand it. I was always in trouble for stuff. But, you know, the older I've got... The one thing I've realised about this verse, and I speak to myself like I'm looking in a mirror now as I speak to you, is parents, mums and dads, fathers and mothers, would you give your kids something to honour? Don't ask them to honour something that's not honourable. Can I, can I ask you to spin it round? Live lives, parents that your kids can honour. Because we all need good role models. And if you've got a bit left over from your kids, then do it to a few others. That's about community. To help us all express and represent Jesus and represent him well to our world. Perhaps a strategy for women to women. I just simply want to read to you from Titus chapter 2. Teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderous or addicted to wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children and be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home and to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that, they will, so that no one will malign the word of God. What I love about women over blokes is that, ladies, you talk. You ever seen blokes in a circle? It's a grunting competition. How you going? Mm, good. Good week? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? We've, we're done in like five minutes. We don't know anything about each other, but we're connected. Whereas you ladies, what, half an hour? I think I'm being polite. You, you guys can go for it. 
Like, do it in a way. So while you're going for it, like, just encourage each other. Lift each other up. We, we blokes have a bit to learn, but we're catching up. But, but women to women, I think it's really important. Mentor each other, encourage each other. What about a strategy for marriage? Last night in our group, we were talking about, um, we got stuck on this subject for half a se- for a bit before we had to finish up. And my comment to people was this. I said, I wish that Ephesians 5.22 was written after Ephesians 5.25. Ephesians 5.22 is this. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might present, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Those verses have caused all sorts of destruction in marriage when they're given for a really good encouragement. I want to suggest to you those two calls of the Lord are purely an expression of a gospel of love and mercy. What is, what is submission and what does living a life for your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for? I want to suggest it's an expression of mercy. The greatest expression of mercy I can give to you is simply is an illustration and it's simply of a, of a child who is, who's like damaged himself and a father comes and or a, a parent comes and picks him up from where he is in his wounds and in his hurts and lifts him up or them up to where they should be. Mercy is taking someone from down here and embracing them up here. That's the message of salvation. That's the gospel of Jesus. He took us lost in our sin. We could do nothing of our own. He reached down, picked us up and embraced us as his own. I want to encourage you in your marriages to do that with each other. Lift each other up. Because there's so many things that we can't go into but because of time this morning, but culture's really good at tearing us apart. Encourage you to lift each other up. I want to encourage you on the issue of women and children, whether it's on a global stage, whether it's at a community level, or whether it's in our homes. Be troubled by the things that trouble the Lord and develop a plan or a strategy as to how you can make a stand for our women and our children and our community because we all have a part to play. We all have something we can be doing. Make a stand. We used to live in Warwick. I'll close with this illustration and then I'd like to pray. We used to live in Warwick and one of the things, I and I still try to do it even now, is I always buy fuel at the same service station. I'm so habitual. I always buy milk at the same supermarket. It drives the kids nuts. 
But one day, we used to, the Shell service station at Warwick was my service station. I'd go in, I knew all the attendants by name, they knew me, it took forever to buy fuel, but I was enjoying going in there. One day, it disturbed me that as my kids were getting older, back in that day, they had all these, all the magazines, um, Women's Day, Women's Weekly, Penthouse, Playboy, People, and they were all at the eyeline of my kids. And I'm like, and I said to the attendant one day, I said, hey, can we do something about this? Like, really, does my five and six and seven and eight-year-old, however old my kids were, do they have to see that? Like, can't we, like, the store's pretty, can't we put lollies there or something? I can deal with lollies, but I don't want my kids having to eyeball that. Jeff, we can't do anything about it. It's all set by, you know, someone bigger and greater than us in some other place other than here. But you can ring this number and let them know. Let me know how you get on. Sweet. So I rung them up. I said, just got a simple question or comment I'd like to make. I said, I really find it disturbing as a customer in your store, going in with my kids into your shop to be confronted by those magazines when my kids are innocent and they shouldn't have to be fronted with how to deal with that when they're just little tackers. Can you do something about it? Because I know I'm not the only one who's concerned about it. I said, I'm not saying to that as some bigot or some narrow-minded person. I'm simply saying that as a dad who wants to raise his kids well. Thanks for your time. Two weeks later, the whole shop was rearranged. The attendant said to me, Jeff, what did you do? I said, I rung up and just made a stand for my kids. She goes, we've never had action that quick in this store, ever. And I think to myself, how simple is that? I didn't even have to pay for the phone call. It was a 1-800 number. But in the everyday of life, I sought to honour my kids, my girls, who are now women, to have a tr in, in a, just a small way to help them understand that there's value and dignity and they don't have to dress like that. They don't have to act like that. They don't have to engage in that. They have far more value than that. And they can walk and stand and be better for it. Can I encourage us? We can change the game in how we as Christians, because of God's example in Jesus, change the game in how women and children are treated in our community and, dare I say, in our culture. For his name's sake. Amen. What I'd like to do as we close our service, um, ladies, would you mind if I just prayed for you? Is that, is that cool? If, if you're not comfortable with that, then please just ignore me and think pleasant thoughts about something else. But I'd really like to pray for you. God, I don't think, I don't think there's a man in this room that wouldn't want to say sorry to the women in this room for how our community and culture treats them. And we stand in the gap for you this morning, ladies, and say, Lord, accept our apology. Say, Lord, stir our culture to value and respect women, to value and respect children. To not objectify them as some sort of commodity that can be traded 
but to value them for who they are as women of dignity and honour, as your daughters. For ladies, that's who you are. You are daughters of the King of Kings. That makes you princesses as well as wonderful. And irrespective of what has happened in your life, irrespective of, of, of the circumstances, and many of us have been through pain, but irrespective of that, the Lord looks at you and loves you like a daughter, loves you as a princess and thinks you're wonderful and says, come to me. Come to me. And can I leave you with this illustration, the viewers of a safe place, of you sitting on the knee of the Lord, the knee of your heavenly Father. And he simply says to you, you are precious, you are valued, you have dignity, and I love you. But not only do I love you, I like you a lot. Because, darling, you're mine. You're mine. And I pray, Lord, in the affirmation of our women today, that they would know something of your honour and your glory in their lives as we give honour and glory to you through our lives in our worship of you. Help us to represent and represent you well. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we close our service this morning.